The next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what is it that you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? Then he said to them. Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now, it was about the 10th hour. If you're reckoning Roman time, it's about 10 o'clock in the morning. And if you're reckoning Jewish time, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Kephas or Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you. Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. We are. Now introduced to five people who will follow Jesus in faith. Only four are mentioned by name. Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. The fifth we have every reason to believe is John the Apostle, the author of this gospel. Once again, we find the credible witness of John the Baptist and the bringing of Christ And now Jesus is calling of his first followers, his first disciples. And as we're looking at this particular passage of scripture, it should cause all of us to remember and think about our own friendship, our own discipleship with Jesus. We should also ask and answer the question, how does God want to use me? How does God want to use my testimony to bring other people to Christ, to advance the kingdom of God? Few things are more intoxicating or exhilarating than to be used by God to bring another person to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas Aquinas wrote to teach in order to lead others to faith is the task of every preacher And every believer, it isn't simply the job of the pastor to point people to Jesus. It's it's each and every person's responsibility to point people to Christ, to point to his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his invitation towards salvation. Some of us feel paralyzed when it comes to talking to people about the Lord Jesus and Many of you could probably give lots of reasons why it's difficult to share Christ. People will often say, well, how can I guide the discussion or the subject of spiritual matters to the claims of Christ? 
How can I overcome my fear of not being accepted? How can I overcome my fear of being thought strange or weird? You are strange and weird. Just get over it. It's just who you are. No, I'm just teasing. But it's certainly true. That we always have motivation and we can be motivated by love or we can be motivated by fear. Billy Graham used to say, we are the Bibles that the world is reading. We are the creeds that the world is hating. We are the sermons that the that the world is needing. I like that. Catherine Booth wrote. Satan does not care what we do so long as we do not alert people to their sin. We may sing songs about the sweet by and by. We may preach sermons and say prayers until doomsday. And and he will never concern himself about us if we don't wake anybody up. But if we awake the sleeping sinner, he will gnash on us with his teeth. This is our work. To wake people up. And if ever a nation had a prophetic alarm clock, if ever there was a Bible wake-up call, it came from the wild-eyed, camel-haired, covered cousin of Jesus. You can imagine with honey dripping from his beard and locusts stuck between his teeth. You know, people thought, this this guy is weird. This guy's kind of strange. But the fiery preacher pointed people to Jesus. We've looked at the witness of John the Baptist, but let's take another peek. Again, in verses 35 and 36, look what it says. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Like I've said, we spent a great deal of time on the witness. But I want to remind you of three necessary ingredients to be a credible witness. And and that is, remember, in order to be a reputable person who's willing to talk about Jesus, number one, you have to have a knowledge of the facts. Number two, you have to have a reputation for honesty. And number three, you have to have a willingness To tell the truth. And again, we see with John the Baptist, it says again the next day. This is the third day in a series of days shortly before the Passover, which is about to be celebrated in Jerusalem. You'll remember that the first day John the Baptist described the religious delegation who came to check out John the Baptist. On the second day, John the Baptist announces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the true Son of God. So in three days, we go from delegation to declaration to decision. Now John is asking his friends and followers to make a decision for Jesus. And so, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. Now, we know that one of those disciples is Andrew from later on in the text. The other remains unnamed. However, we have a strong suspicion that it's the author of this gospel. It's the beloved apostle, John, who is, of course, the brother of James. John never names himself in the entire gospel. He never names himself in 1 John. He never names himself in 2 John. He never names himself in 3 John. But he does name himself in the book of Revelation. And so, John is speaking from memory. He's an old man now. He's way past his 30s. He's way past his 40s. He's way past his 50s. John is an old man and he has already been boiled in oil. He has already been banished to the island of Patmos. He's already returned to the city of Ephesus. And now he is writing these words. He is remembering the day that he met Jesus. Do you remember that day? Do you remember the day you first met Jesus? I do. 
March 3rd, 1973. It was seven o'clock in the evening. A friend had invited me to a concert at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I went down to this concert and I heard the gospel being preached. Many of you know my testimony. I, I gave it to, not too long ago at, at Clement Park when we had our praise in the park. And I, I would encourage you if, if you have an opportunity to pick up the tape. But there I described my my testimony in great length, how my father was born in Sicily, how my mother was raised by Mississippi dirt farmers. My mother was 15 years old when she became pregnant with me. My father was 18. It was a marriage that was doomed for failure. I don't really remember very much about the first part of my life for the first three years. I didn't spend much time with my mother and father. I was constantly being shuffled to my grandparents. And so my grandparents had the lion's share of bringing me up in those first few years. And my parents' marriage, as you might imagine, was immature. And so they always fought. At the age of three, my mother, already with two children, ran away and went to California. Through a series of failed reconciliations, my mother became pregnant again and had my sister. And finally, my parents got a divorce, and then my, my mother went through a, a, a series of serial failed relationships. And so I lived in a world where I made the rules and I made the decisions. And you know, if you live in a world where anything goes, typically anything will go. And I found myself far from God, estranged from God, living a lifestyle of wickedness. Until I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. An invitation was extended. And I received Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And look again at the text. It says, and looking, John the Baptist said, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. We've already gone to great lengths to describe that title, the Lamb of God. Remember, Passover is fast approaching. The Lamb of God is introduced in the Old Testament as that sacrifice for sin that would apply to the household. John reminds everyone listening that Jesus is the solution for sin. But what I want to draw your attention to is the beginning of the expression where it says, and looking at Jesus. The expression and looking is the Greek word emblepo. In English, we would spell that E-M-B-L-E-P-O. The word in the original language means to fix your gaze upon. It means to give a penetrating look. We might think about it that John takes a good, hard, long, lingering look at Jesus. And as he's looking at Jesus, he makes that expression, behold, the Lamb of God. The only other time, by the way, that the word appears in the whole gospel of John is in verse 42 of this opening chapter. Where later in verse 42, when it says, and he brought him to Jesus, speaking of Simon, it says, now when Jesus looked at him, it's the same word, emblepo. The idea being Jesus took a good, long, lingering, hard look at Simon Peter. The public declaration now becomes a personal invitation to his disciples. John the Baptist invites his disciples to leave him and transfer their loyalty to this new and greater teacher. Later on in the text, remember what Jesus or what John the Baptist will say. He must increase and I must decrease. Many of you grew up in a religious tradition. Many of you grew up in circumstances where you had a way of thinking about life and love and religion. Many of you grew up in a religious tradition. And as you grew up in the religious tradition, someone pointed you to Jesus, to the Savior, the living Lord, who, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And the, the invitation was extended to you. 
to abandon your religion for a real relationship and friendship with the living Lord Jesus. By the way, as far as we know, this is the last time that John the Baptist will see Jesus. He'll figure prominently in the New Testament, but as far as we know from the New Testament records, this is the last time that John the Baptist sees him. And we see the calling of the disciples. Look again in verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. The two disciples, like I said, the first is Andrew. The second is John. And you'll notice something from this passage of Scripture. There are three ways that people come to Jesus that are given in this passage. The first is the power of preaching. John preaches a message. The two disciples begin their journey, not on the basis of a complete understanding of the deity of Christ, but rather of the powerful statement that Jesus is the Lamb of God and the Son of God, that Jesus is God's atoning sacrifice. And John the Baptist invites his disciples to leave him and go to Jesus. The second way that people come to Christ that we see in this particular passage is the power of personal evangelism. You'll remember Andrew first finds his own brother and he brings him to Jesus. The third way is found in verse 43. It says the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he, that is Jesus himself, went and found Philip and he said, follow me. As far as I can tell, those, those are the only three ways that a person can come to Christ. And I'll illustrate it right now. Everyone who's listening to my, to my voice, when you experienced that friendship and that relationship, and, and again, we'll just do a little experiment here. How many of you came to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because you heard a preacher preach a message. They pointed you to Jesus and you received Christ as your Savior. Go ahead and raise your hand. Lift it high so that everybody can see. Look around you. Look at the hands. How many of you came to the Lord Jesus Christ because a friend loved you and cared about you and began to share with you their own story about how Jesus changed their life and then they offered... To introduce you to the Lord Jesus, how many of you came to Christ through friendship evangelism? Raise your hand. Look around you, ladies and gentlemen. The third way that people come to Jesus isn't, again, you hear a preacher preach or a person leads you to Christ. But Jesus shows up. Now, by the way, I think that the third way is, at least in my mind, the most interesting. It seems to me that Jesus shows up when people reject the message from the preacher and they reject the message from the friend. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a dark place, a bitter place, a lonely place. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up and says, look, you need to know something. I love you and I care about you. But you're cutting this thin. As a matter of fact, I'm here to tell you something. That the wickedness and the weirdness of your life has to come to an end. And you need to receive me as your Lord and your Savior. How many of you hard-headed people came to Jesus because Jesus showed up and changed your life? <laughs> look around you. Look, ar yeah, look around you. There are those people. And so if you're wondering and if you're reading the Bible and you're saying, well, I, a person can only come to Christ if they hear a message or a, a person can only come to Christ through a friend, guess what? Jesus can and still shows up. Now, you'll notice something else. It says later in verses 38 and 39, then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what is it that you're looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying. 
and they remained with him that day. Now, again, it was about the 10th hour. Like I said to you earlier, if you're reckoning Roman time, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. If you're reckoning Jewish time, which was divided into 12 watches from six o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the evening, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. But what's interesting to me, it says, then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what is it that you seek? John remembers years and years, generations later, the first words that came out of Jesus's mouth. What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're seeking? I'm going to suggest to you that people in the first century were looking for exactly the same thing that people are looking for in the 21st century. Even as Jesus asks you the question, what is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for hope? Are you looking for security? Are you looking for freedom from sin? Are you looking for assurance of salvation? Are you looking for the answers on what it means to have a right relationship with God? Are you looking for how a person gets to heaven? What are you trying to get out of life? With this question, Jesus asks them to probe their own conscience. Jesus says, what are you looking for? Are you simply curious or do you want to know the truth? Do you have a real desire, a real hunger, a real need to know the truth? My friend Bill Fay loves to ask the question when he meets people. No matter Bill, to Bill Fay, there is no such thing as a stranger. He will ask a complete stranger. Hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And then he lets them talk. It doesn't really even matter what their spiritual beliefs are, unless, of course, their beliefs that, hey, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead for my justification. If you have if you say anything other than that, Bill will just politely listen and nod his head. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then I'll ask people, tell me what you believe about Jesus. Tell me what you believe about him. Tell me what you believe about heaven. Tell me what you believe about hell. And then they'll let him talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And then he, he says this. He asks this question. If what you believed isn't true. Would you want to know? Now, you obviously know the answer to that question. There's only two two answers to that question. The first answer is no, I don't want to know. By the way, can you have a conversation with somebody like that? If, if, if you say to a person, if what you believe isn't true, would you want to know? And they go, I am happy living in ignorance and darkness. I want to remain in ignorance and darkness. Is it helpful to have a conversation with that person? But if a person says, yeah, I would want to know, then it's, it's an invitation to speak. What are you looking for? It's not an easy question. I suspect that both Andrew and John, when Jesus asked them that question, they were no more than 13 or 14, perhaps as old as 15 years old. If you ask a 13 year old, a 14 year old, a 15 year old, what are you looking for? They'll probably say. Unlimited games, Nintendo. I want the ultimate system. To their credit, these young disciples say, Rabbi, Master, where are you staying? And he said to them, look what he said to them. Come and see. If come and see is anything, it's a sincere invitation to check out things for yourself. I love that. And you'll notice something that Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, you have to go through a series of catechism classes. You have to go through a series of hoops. You have to go through a series of this or that. You have to eat glass. You have to make a pilgrimage to Africa. You have to finish high school. He doesn't look for a reason to get rid of them. He says, come and see. He doesn't say, Dude, I have a little crash pad, bungalow down by the shores of Gal Galilee. You can come and stay at my place. Jesus invites the disciples 
to a place of intimacy, a place where they can talk, a place where they can get to know Jesus. I like that. Again, in verse 40, it says one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We're given our first little character sketch. We don't have time to go in a whole lot of detail, but I just want to remind you of something. And that is in the New Testament. Andrew is always pictured as bringing people to Jesus here. He brings people to Jesus. You know, the story of the loaves and fishes, how 5000 people showed up to hear Jesus speak. And as Jesus is speaking, it's time for everybody to go home. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, send everybody home. Because we're far away from McDonald's and Wendy's. There's no dollar meal menus out here in the middle of the wilderness. Jesus, send them home. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they look at each other and they go. Lord, if we pool all of our resources together, even if we go to McDonald's, even if we order from the dollar meal, we have maybe enough money for 200 sausage biscuit McMuffins. But what is that among so many? And what does Andrew do? He brings a little boy to Jesus with two loaves and two fishes. You know the story. Later on in the ministry of Jesus, a group of Greek speaking Gentiles want to come and speak to Jesus. And Andrew brings them to Jesus. And by the way. Andrew doesn't seem to have spent a whole lot of time before he's willing to bring his brother Simon to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Andrew spends the day with Jesus and is convinced that he's the Messiah. Have you ever asked and answered the question, how long do I have to know Jesus before I can bring somebody else to Jesus? Well, for Andrew, the answer is one day, one day. I like that. And in verses 41 and 42, it says he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. If you're one of those people who underlines your Bible, this is an underlining moment. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him. He said. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Kephas or Cephas, which is an Aramaic word. Kepha doesn't have an S in the original Aramaic language. There's a Greek transliteration of this word. The name Peter is Petros, which means a rock. Here he's called Kephas, which is translated a stone. So we might thinking of him as Stony Johnson. That's his name. John gives us his memory of the big fisherman. Now, again, in our introduction to Peter, many of you who are familiar with the New Testament sort of relate to him because he's the brash one. He's the one with all of his faults and all of his foibles and all of his fantastic mistakes that most of us relate to. He's the first one to open his mouth. And when he does open his mouth, you usually find his foot there. And he takes his foot out of his mouth. But it's interesting to me. Like I said, when Jesus looked at him, he took a long, lingering look He saw something different. Instead of seeing an equivocator, he saw a rock. What do you think of when you think about Peter? Rash, brash, Galilean trailer trash. Do you see a waffling, uncertain, impulsive person? But this is what's interesting to me. When Jesus sees him, he doesn't just see simply see him as what he is. But what he will become. Do you realize that that's the same vision that Jesus has of you? He doesn't simply see you 
as you were. He doesn't simply see you with all of the faults and all of the foibles and all of the problems and all of the pain. But he sees what you will become. And by the way, Jesus knew in advance that he was going to make Simon into a leader and into a lover of Jesus. Every cut and polished diamond begins life as a rough, hard, abrasive stone. Have you ever watched the Discovery Channel? There's a certain episode where they they go to people who pick raw diamonds and people who can pick raw stones have this uncanny ability to look behind the harshness and 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 the circumstances of the stone and they can see this sparkling jewel on the inside. That's exactly what God sees in Christ and in you. Have you ever met someone who you looked at them and you thought, what's God going to do with this person? Well, guess what? Tomorrow, when you wake up and you look in the mirror, you can ask yourself that question. God, what are you going to do with me? And again, this is interesting. Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. But it's Simon's face to face encounter with Jesus that gives Simon sufficient motivation to follow Jesus. You see, each and every one of us can point people to Jesus and bring people to Jesus. But it's their own encounter with Jesus that will make the difference. The Bible says no one comes to the father unless he's drawn by the Holy Spirit of God. And so each and every person has to embrace Jesus on their own. Another thing that I find very interesting is later on, of course, Peter will become arguably one of the great leaders of Christianity. He will be featured prominently in the gospel. He will be featured prominently in the book of Acts. He will write first and second Peter. Do you realize, Andrew, we never hear a sermon that he preaches. We never hear of, of, of really anything in, in the New Testament other than bits and pieces and so right away, Andrew is willing to be number two in order for Jesus to be number one. And look at the next verse in 43 and 44. It says the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. We don't have a whole lot of knowledge about Philip. His name, by the way, is a Greek name, and it means the person who loves Horses. If it weren't for John's gospel, we would know even little. We would have even less knowledge about Peter. In John's gospel, there's a brief but revealing character sketch given to us of Philip. In, in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In John chapter 12, verses 20 and 22. John chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. And when we come to those particular passages, we will give a more full description of the character of Philip. But as you can imagine, again, Jesus shows up and personally invites Philip to follow him. And look what it says in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It would appear that Philip found Nathanael almost Immediately. And again, he doesn't spend very much time with Jesus before he comes to the realization that Jesus is the sum and the substance, the fullness of all the messianic promises that were given in Moses and the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth. And look at his response. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You've got to understand something. Nazareth didn't have a good reputation. You might think, uh, let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> in the Middle East, particularly in Judah and in Galilee, during the time of the first century, you had the haves and you had the have-nots. The Judean people despised the Galileans. And even among the Galileans, 
These people despised the Nazarenes. It would be like if you were from Denver and you and, and people from Littleton or Lakewood looked down on the people of Sheridan. And then the people of Sheridan looked down on the people of Commerce City. And someone says, imagine someone said to you, and the next president of the United States will have been born in Commerce City. And you go, oh, come on. Can anything good come out of Commerce City? And that's the kind of prejudice that Nathaniel had. Galileans were despised by the people of Judah, but Galileans even despised the people of Nazareth. Even later, critics who despised Jesus and they despised his followers would disparagingly call them Nazarenes. And it wasn't a compliment. It would be like in our city if someone said, well, what? Tell me the name of your team again. The donkeys. They're the Broncos. Yeah, when when somebody calls your team the donkeys, it's not a compliment. And when people called Christians a Nazarene, it wasn't a compliment. By the way, Nathaniel was from the village of Cana. And of course, this is the place where the miracle is going to take place in the next chapter when Jesus turns the water into wine. But you'll note something that Philip doesn't argue with Nathaniel. When, when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He repeats the words that have been spoken earlier in verse 39. Look what it says. Come and see. Instead of arguing, it was an honest invitation to come and check out for yourself the truth about Jesus. Have you ever gone into an argument over religion with someone? How helpful was it? Many people want to argue about lots of things. And for whatever reason, when you're a Christian, they want to pick on you. I'm your huckleberry. Let's play for blood. And they'll ask you all kinds of wicked and weird questions, but they have absolutely no desire to know more. They simply want to argue. And the way that you can diffuse the argument is by simply saying, come And check it out for yourself. And like I said, this is an honest invitation to embark on a sincere quest of discovery. And look what it says in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in him is no deceit. In the old King James, it says in whom is no guile. That word deceit is very interesting. It literally in the ancient world was a word that a fisherman would use to describe to bait their hook. And remember, bait on a hook is designed to deceive. And so here, Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no pretense, there is no um, guile, there's nothing phony about Nathanael, there's nothing pretend about, about Nathanael. Have you ever heard the expression, This person's a what you see is what you get kind of a person. They mean what they say and they say what they mean. That's the kind of person Nathaniel was. There's no pretense. There's nothing phony about him. And look what it says in verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What was Nathaniel doing under that fig tree? You have to understand something. In ancient Jewish culture, the Talmud encouraged sincere searching Jews to seek places of solitude, a place where a person could meditate and pray about the things of God to search the scriptures. I grew up in the Mojave Desert. In a place called Apple Valley, Hesperia, Victorville. This is the place where they have Joshua trees. Most of you aren't going to be familiar with Joshua trees unless you listen to you too. But a Joshua tree is not even a real tree. It's a plant. So if a person said to me, Gino, I saw you under the Joshua tree. 
It wouldn't be very impressive. Let me put it to you a different way. Imagine you, have, you live in Conifer or you have a friend up there in the mountains in Conifer and someone said, I saw you under the pine tree. And that's remarkable for what reason? There's pine trees everywhere. In the first century, if I could take all of you in a time capsule and take you back in time and space, there would be fig trees everywhere in the Galilee. So what's remarkable about this story? What is he talking about? I suspect that Nathaniel had been reading the story of Jacob's adventure when he ran away from his bitter brother Esau after having stolen the blessing. What makes me think that? Because of the response given in verses 49 through 51. Look what it says. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the book of, of Genesis or the story of Jacob and Esau, he basically stole both the birthright and the blessing from his brother. Esau said, I am going to kill you. So Jacob made a run for it. And as he ran away, he came to a place called Bethel. And there at Bethel, he made a pillow from a stone and he dreamed a dream. And as he dreamed the dream, he saw a ladder. He saw heaven open and a ladder descend from heaven to the earth. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, it says, then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You know what I think happened? I think that Nathaniel was having one of those private moments. One of those dark moments. One of those tearful moments. Just like you. You see, there have been moments in your life where nobody else saw you. Those dark moments where you laid your head on the pillow and in the darkness of the night, you said, Lord, what am I doing here? Why did you make me and what were you thinking making this person my mother and father? What were you thinking placing me in this family? What were you thinking allowing this particular thing to happen and that particular thing to happen? And crying out to God. And asking the question, are you real? And are you there? I suspect that Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree and he was reading the passage from Genesis. And like Job in the Old Testament, he asked the question, would that there was a ladder, would that the sky would open, would that a ladder would drop from heaven and I could climb up the ladder and have a conversation with God or God would climb down the ladder and have a conversation with me. And Jesus told Nathaniel, do you remember when you prayed that prayer? I was there listening, longing to answer your prayer. Nathaniel, I was there and I heard you. I am the answer to your prayers. No wonder Nathaniel says, you are the Messiah. You are the king of Israel. You see. Your family, your friends, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, that that particular person who you've been talking to about Jesus. When you say, you know what, you need to consider the claims of Christ. You need you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And they say, I'm fine. I'm fine just the way that I am. And I don't need you. And I don't need Jesus and I don't need the church. You can rest assured. That in the dark moment of despair. In the quiet moment. That only Jesus sees. That Jesus knows the truth. That there's a deep, dark, empty, lonely longing to know the truth about God. As a matter of fact, the entire Old Testament 
places us on the precipice, on the very edge of Messiah's coming. In First Chronicles 28, 9, David told his son Solomon concerning his relationship with God, if you seek him, you will find him. And by the way, when you come to the end of the of the chapter, when Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, by the way, in the original language, in the Greek language, it says verily, verily or truly, truly. Only in John's gospel does that double affirmation of the amen appear. What it means is what I'm about to tell you is absolutely and positively true. Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on the ladder. But on the son of man, do you understand what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I am the ladder. I am the way in order for you to have a right relationship with God. So how do we reach the loss? Well, remember, Andrew begins with his own family. By the way, how many of you have discovered that talking to your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your own family, they are like the worst people to talk to about Jesus? Any of you had that experience? I have. It's hard when you're talking to your mother and your mother goes, I changed your diapers. How can you lead me into all spiritual truth? And you go, okay. You know, what do you say to that? But I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Make sure that you have the assurance of God's work in your own life. You want to lead people to Christ? Make sure that you know him. You want to point people to Jesus? Then make sure that you understand your own sin. All people are lost whether they realize it or not. Carl Jung said the great neurosis of our time, the great plague that inhabits and indwells all people is this pervading sense of emptiness. What he described as emptiness we know is sin and estrangement from God. Jacob later on at the river, Jacob, at the river Jabbok will give up. He will give up his cattle. He'll give up his camels. He'll give up his donkeys. He'll put ahead the wife that he doesn't particularly care for. Then he'll put the wife that he really does care for. He'll put his children and pretty soon all that's left is just him and the angel of the Lord. And he will wrestle with the Lord and he will surrender to the Lord. You want to lead other people to Christ? Make sure you know the bare essentials. And you know what the bare essentials of Christianity are? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. If you know that much, you know enough to tell somebody about Jesus. I'll make it even more simple. If you know this, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible. What's how's the rest go? Then you know enough to tell people about Jesus. And remember, all things must be done in love. Make sure that you're motivated not by fear, but by love. I read a story. A missionary physician in one of China's hospitals cured a man of cataracts. A few weeks later, 48 blind men came to the doctor from one of from the outskirts, the wilds of, of China, all holding onto a rope guided by the man who had been cured. He had led them this way, walking in a chain 250 miles to the hospital. This guy who had been cured of cataracts found every single blind person that he could. He didn't know everything about ophthalmology. He knew what it meant to be blind. He know, knew what it meant to, to, to see. And so he took everyone that he could find and he attached them to the rope and he hauled them to the hospital. I want you to bring people to Jesus. Not to church. Don't get me wrong. It's okay for you to bring people to church. I hope you do. But remember, bringing a person to church is not a substitute for bringing them to Jesus. I'm hoping and praying when you do bring them to church, they'll be given an opportunity to know Jesus. And by the way, make a verbal witness. Use your mouth. By that I mean, don't just, you know, say, I'm just going to throw off some Jesus vibes. Jesus vibes, peace, Jesus, peace, love, Jesus vibes. I'm throwing off Jesus vibes. 
It's okay for you to open up your mouth and tell them about Christ. Be creative in your witness. One day a guy came to our house and he was selling encyclopedias. He goes, hi there, do you care about education? Of course you do. Do you care about raising your children? Of course you do. Well, then buy my encyclopedia. And I said, you can stop. I already bought your encyclopedia. Here it is on my wall. Look. And then I went over to the J section. I go, this is a great encyclopedia. Here, let me show you something that I learned from your encyclopedia. Let's see. Oh, Japanese beetles, Japanese gardens. Oh, look, Jesus. Look what it says, that the story of Jesus is largely contained in the four Gospels. All four Gospels agree that he was Born, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross from the, for sins and he rose from the dead. This is in the Encyclopedia Britannica, by the way. And the Britannica guy's going, look at it, we're going. I go, out of all of the billions of people who have ever lived on the planet Earth, how many do you think rose from the dead never to die ever again? And he goes, oh, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, oh, one. And I led him to the Lord. He came to sell me a set of encyclopedias. He had no idea that God had planned a plan for him, a plan to give him life and love and freedom from sin, eternal life. You can't purchase it. It can only be given to you in Christ. Oh, but I got to stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray. That you would use each and every person within the sound of my voice. I pray that you would use them to bring people to yourself. To point people to Jesus. And Heavenly Father, whether it's preaching or personal evangelism. Whether it's you, Lord, showing up in a person's life. Transforming them. Lord, we pray that you would do that work. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that person right now. Who in the darkness of the emptiness... Of their circumstances have cried out to you. Lord, maybe they cried themselves to sleep last night. Maybe they sat on their bed and their pillow and they wept real tears and they cried out to you. And they said, if you're real, please make yourself known to me. Lord, I pray that you would show up. Lord, I pray that you would tap on their heart. Lord, I pray that you would tell them how much you love them and how you're willing to forgive them. Lord, I pray that they would receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Is that you? Do you need to have a right relationship with God through Jesus? Do you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart? Let him in. It's easy to do. All you have to do is invite him into your heart. Would you like to do that? Just lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. You can know him. You can experience life and discipleship, freedom and forgiveness and hope and heaven. Is that you? Would you like to have that? It's easy to do. Just make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. Embrace him. Heavenly Father, for these who are here, Lord, I pray that they would trust you and that they would love you. Lord, thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you that we have an exciting adventure in front of us as we follow Jesus forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.